Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and of course, I'm here, here, with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. I think today is the day when our travel schedules coincided. We are sitting in the same room in hotel in Singapore, where we're going to have this conversation live podcast, which has never happened in the history of Beyond Bitcoin. So it's a momentous day. It is a momentous day. I will prove. Hang on one moment. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll reserve back to where we were, but we're actually together. It took us about 30 minutes of exercise to figure out the echoes and the sound quality and everything else. So I think we are getting good at this. Yeah. Oh, so we're getting there anyway, but we're both in Singapore doing very similar things. And of course, we're constantly learning. And Nitin, you've been at a uh, family office and a wealth management conference yesterday, and you're speaking at a blockchain conference tomorrow. Maybe tell us a bit about what's happening there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yesterday was an exciting day one because I landed at at almost eight o'clock in the morning came to the room, checked in, and went back to a wealth management conference that was invited by a friend of mine who is a colleague. And it was a great event. And I'll tell you, Derek, the constant conversation in terms of the opportunity landscape, are we officially in bull market? And what is the opportunity ahead of us? The regulatory concerns from the high net worth individuals and family offices and the representatives of these family offices. I found that there was a sense of energy and excitement that, hey, what's to come? And of course, people were pouring over analyst reports and so on and so forth. A slight difference was that I think there was a lot of positivity around regulations in Singapore. Not not the same in, in the United States, but but a lot of people here were appreciative of the fact that they, the regulators have taken a, a step to understand this industry and have the right mindset around regulation, not completely thwart the growth of the industry. So it was super exciting and of course, we met and tell us a little bit about your event. Uh, tomorrow, we, there's a blockchain conference. Of a, it's a technical conference. We're going to talk about AI and blockchain, which feeds the, the entire industry in general. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Derek, you're invited to that, as, of course. And you're speaking at that. What's your topic tomorrow? So I had written this article, Derek, on nexus of AI and blockchain, and that they're not necessarily competing tech, even though a lot of investment has evaporated from blockchain into AI. And I always viewed them as complementing technologies, that they're emerging and there's a reason why there have been uh, evolution development in different sort of staggering sense of where blockchain is today and where AI was a decade ago. So um, my my topic tomorrow is exactly is convergence and the nexus of these two technologies and how it can make the entire apparatus better and how this is supposed to fit together in terms of data and consumption of data and creation of data. Mm. Also in context of Web3, which is an interesting, I think, discussion we had this week mm. in Singapore. So, so 
all of that is is the realm we're in yesterday afternoon too because we're educating which is what we do a lot we both learn and we educate and yesterday we managed to meet with both uh, wealth managers and also investors the word defined here in Singapore as accredited investors, wholesale investors, sophisticated investors, different terminologies yeah. around the world, but accredited investors. And, and of course, we naturally learned that the knowledge of the industry is, is very low. And, you know, when we're talking about the size of the group we we're talking to, there's nearly 400 consultants. And it was estimated that about 5% of them had a fairly solid knowledge on the industry and up to 10% of them could vaguely converse on it. So we're still at the very early curve of what's happening here. And the questions they asked us were really interesting because it, it brings, to, brings to us what is still out there. And the questions they broadly asked us was, well, what happened in 2022? Yeah. Where did the industry go wrong? Yeah. Why did the price drop so much? Yeah. Why have things changed? And why do you feel there's exponential growth ahead of us? Yeah. And so I thought, we thought, these might be our topics today. Yeah, no, no. I was with you in the room and, I, and, and it was, you could sense a twinkle in the eye when people were really excited. Yeah. And I also realized, I, I echo your sentiments, Derek, that there's a long way to go in terms of educating, uh, especially the folks who are involved in investment communities, not necessarily the technologists or not necessarily people like me and you and Mark and Petros, for example, who are spending all their time in understanding the industry, both from technology side as well as evaluating and, and figuring out the opportunity areas that, that we, can, we can direct our energies towards. And I think it's time that we you know, sp spend some time in understanding what is the true growth potential? What are we really investing towards? One thing I would say, Derek, is that which echoed in, and this actually is also a challenge that we have seen in the United States, and I see the same sentiments here in the wealth management conferences, that you begin to see crypto as a double digit return and an alpha generator, as opposed to what you would get the equation, which is interesting at the moment with the treasury and inflation and the getting five, five and a half percent from simply keeping money in a bank versus yes. investing and getting Absolutely. seven, seven percent. So the risk appetite, why would someone risk all that for just 2% gains, for example, and you see crypto as still you know, a interesting asset class where you still have some, I would say, investment dynamics preserved that you're taking the risk, but the rewards are in proportion to the risk that you're taking. Right. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So, Nitin, one of the things we did at the very beginning was start educating them to this being a new asset class. And I thought that was very important because what happens, of course, human nature is always trying to bundle something into yeah. what it already knows. It's bundling itself into, I know these various asset classes. So crypto must be blocked into alternatives. So let's talk about the fact that crypto is, in fact, a brand new asset class. Correct. And I think we both argued this in the room to say, because I think the, the investment advisors who we spoke to, interestingly enough, they have grouped crypto into this alls. And for the audience here, they generally are four asset classes. Uh, you have the equities, which is the ownership into into companies and securities and stocks and so on and so forth. You have debt instruments. So these are the, 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 the bonds and, and, and debt instruments. And then you have, of course, cash and cash equivalents. And there's a fourth category where if none of them fits into any of the three, yeah. they, they plug it into this fourth category. That includes hedge funds, private equity, private markets, private credit, everything that's like outside of the realm of these sort of structured 
products per se. And because crypto doesn't fit into any of the three, obviously doesn't, and Gary, Uncle Gary would, would beg to differ on that front, they, they basically put this into this new asset class, you know, or into this old asset class called ALLS. And our argument, both of us discussed this with, with a bunch of, you know, advisors where classifying as a fifth asset class not only unburdens the classification of, of crypto as an asset class per se, because I think this new asset class governs its own category. It has its own economic system. It has its own, you know, technology curve, adoption curve, economics. So they are not exactly directly tied to the overall global macro that governs the remaining four asset classes. There is some remote relationships. And that was the argument with them to say, let's classify this fifth asset class. And I think we on Beyond Bitcoin, me and you have discussed this. I have written about this as emergence of fifth asset class. And I think that was well received. I, I don't know what you think about that that statement when we made in 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 the group of people to say let's talk about the fifth asset class i think anytime you crystallize something where people get an understanding that it is truly different as you say it's a different set of economics decentralized finance operates yeah. differently to the normal banking system fractionated assets the transfer around the world etc these operate differently a lot of the smart contract driven solutions are outside a standard legal framework that operate differently it's truly a different asset class. Now, the minute that's the case and they can turn around and say, this is a separate asset class, then all of a sudden what you're seeing is you're seeing them having a realization going, all right, it's a separate asset class. Wow. So I should try and work out where that might fit in the portfolio. Correct. Versus I'm going to bundle it into alt alternatives <laughs> and it'll sit there alongside all these other things. Yeah. So that was quite a breakthrough, I think, for a number of them. So one of the other things they asked once they were going through this process yeah. of asset classes is they, they wanted to understand, well, why do we keep talking about exponential growth yeah. in this area? Why, why would this asset class, which is you know, a set of currencies, yeah. suddenly grow exponentially? Sure. So we had to explain to them, firstly, it's not a set of currencies, and currencies only represents one small fraction yeah. of what happens in this space. And then we were able to display de decentralized finance and metaverse and gaming and, and these other subcategories yeah. in, in what are essentially we regularly define as sovereign states with businesses within them, often yeah. based upon the blockchain. Once they sort of got that knowledge, they're going, okay, so I'm getting that. These big financial instruments and solutions are getting driven and created online, but why the exponential growth? And that's where we're able to bring in Web 3.0, what that yeah. really means in artificial intelligence. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. We do. And I think what's interesting was that we had some of these guys asking us what's Web 3.0, mm. as opposed to us in interjecting it. And I think this journey that you mentioned, Derek, whether we are organically classifying this as a fifth asset class, as opposed to simply getting an exposure, which was a constant conversation to say, my clients need the exposure. And then my question was, why? Is the diversification strategies or are you looking at this and saying, I need to have some crypto and I need to have some asset class so I can say that I'm, I'm exposed to it. As opposed to understanding the underlying metrics, understanding the underlying imperatives that it goes. And I think what's interesting is exactly as you pointed out, Derek, is this conversation of exponential growth brought in the Web3 conversation, the creator-led economy. And we did go down the rabbit hole of differentiating between what's Web 1.0, which is a read, and Web 2 is read and write, and eventually the evolution of it. And I think what we begin to talk about was we draw we drew analogies with the 
industrial revolution, the information revolution that we that we went through in the past few decades, and how the overall value in the economy has really catapulted from the industrial age, which is mostly mechanical driven, to information age, and we expect the same level of, if not greater, growth from where we are today from a growth trajectory perspective. I think that was well received, um, especially the fact that that we are not just uh, the peer-to-peer communication, which is a part of the information revolution, uh, the social media, and they became, you know, sort of a marketing platforms and they gave more channels for sales. Mm. I think the notion that uh, Web3 allows us to not only monetize our implicit and explicit data creation, whether it's our data, healthcare data, or whether it's my identity and use of my identity and eventually the explicit creation that I do, whether it's art or blog post and if, once I have the ability to monetize it and I can monetize it at a peer-to-peer level, the entire 9 billion people that the world comprises of, that's a a marketplace. So it's more people participating in the economy, a massive growth. I think that to me was, I learned that too while explaining this. And that really stuck with a lot of people to say, internet did all these things. We are going in high gear to move that to a whole new direction. And I love to see because you were in the audience with me, and and what did you take out take away from that conversation? Did, did it make sense? What else did stick with the audience? Well, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing an aha moment with yeah. people. True, you know, I agree. and and it's 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 superb. One of the things I try and get across is that technology doesn't operate on a linear basis. What we see in the past and think, well, the future is going to look like banking, but it's going to go faster. Or the future is going to be like normal business that we're used to doing business here, maybe online through centralized products, but it's just going to be quicker. And the answer is that's not going to happen. We're absolutely sure that the future is going to grow exponentially and it's going to grow in ways we can't envisage. So as you said, web one was read, web two was read, write. And web three is read, write, own. Now, if you allow 9 billion people to read, write, and own, whether it's the implicit health records or the explicit singing and their artists or their their patent developers or and they're dealing with intellectual property and they're generating that income, yeah. then it's fairly obvious they're going to be using digital assets to transact in that income that ain't going to be transacted through a u.s bank or an australian bank or they'll be transacted through blockchains they might end up in a bank but they'll be transacted through blockchains because blockchain is automated and algorithm driven obvious now when people are going to be creating their own web3 environments whether it's going to be music or art or or intellectual property in some form or other they're probably going to be using artificial intelligence to help them with that sure to help them create it, to help them market it, to help them maximize it. AI is going to be looking at their records, other records, and I'm not talking about in an invasive manner, but in an, in an aggregating manner. And they're going to be going, well, the best way to communicate out here is this. The best way to do that is this. And so this confluence is exactly that. It's a confluence yeah. happening simultaneously. So what we're going to see is we're going to see blockchain, which none of this works without. Right? Yeah. We're going to see digital autonomy, digital apps, which are going to be solutions that will provide this generation of income. And we'll see the philosophy and structure of Web 3.0, where people will be generating money, yeah. value 
out of their own assets worldwide without boundaries. It's very exciting. It's very powerful. Derek. But let me ask you a question. And I think that was, you're right. It's, of course, we've been debating this and talking about this, envisioning this for a long time. But when you look at the, the aha moment, people are like, wow, I really get it now. I think it's, it's just satisfying that you're able to communicate that vision. But something else that I observed in this conversation that I've had in the past two days is the notion of the audience's understanding of technology and comparing crypto to what the banks have done with experiments. So of course, large financial institutions, I work you know, for one of them. We all have been experimenting for ages in applying technology to streamline and get transactional efficiency. So one of the examples that I got here being in Singapore, of course, DBS is one of the largest banks in this bank in Singapore. They've done this recent experiment of tokenizing bonds. So when we are talking in the context of this Web3.0 decentralized finance world and cryptocurrencies and medium of exchange, for example, somebody did insert to say, you know, hey, DBS is doing this tokenization of bond. And, and one thing was interesting to me at that point is there is to you, exactly what you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, there is so much more education that needs to be delivered and in our comprehensive understanding of how the things are that when a financial institution takes the technology to tokenize a existing asset class, whether it's the four asset classes, uh, bond being a debt instrument uh, or securities being a security instrument and stable coin being a cash instrument, for example, then you're doing it for, you're, it's a process of digitization and you're doing it for achieving efficiency in the system, whether it's transactional efficiency or whether it's liquidity efficiency. And you have sort of a marginal benefit from that because you're trying to extract some value of it. It's not exponential at that point. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with the cryptocurrencies and digital assets and crypto assets that is governed in this truly decentralized world. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes people do not make that differentiation because they view a token as assets, whether it's a bond or equities or securities, the same thing as Bitcoin and Ether. And I think we still have to, uh, and my messaging, uh, I'd love to get your th thoughts, and you were in the room too, Derek, is, is the fact that there are already economic principles that govern the value of these assets and they are not going to change just because you tokenize them Absolutely. as opposed to the fifth asset class that has own governance and value in economic systems, which has the potential of that exponential growth, not so much for real world asset tokenization that has been in the news lately. Uh, I don't know if you observe the same thing while you were talking to the advisors. Yeah. So it's, I look at this in two ways. So I'm excited about the tokenization of real world assets. And the reason I'm excited about it is because it represents a great social experiment, the ability to democratize assets. And I don't mean democracy in regards to politics. I mean democracy in regards to equally make available assets worldwide. Yeah. That's exciting. The building that we're, we're sitting in now, the Sofa, Sofa, Sofil, Hotel. It's, it's a Swiss hotel. Very nice hotel. They should sponsor this event. Yeah, okay, they should. So we, we mentioned yeah, their names. Yeah, great so, yeah. And so the ability for this hotel to be fractionated and sold off in $10 lots yeah. and return, you know, 9% per annum, that is democratizing assets. And if someone can own that in um, a developing country or a country that could otherwise not get exposure to that sort of return and stability, that's very powerful in my view. So philosophically, I really like the idea of, of fractionating real world assets or democracy, sorry, 
digitizing yeah. real world assets yeah. and enabling them to be fractionated. Number one. Number two is it actually represents an enormous on-ramp to digital assets. Because if you're fractionated stock bonds, your exposure to commercial real estate or your own residential real estate or income streams of a variety, you're fractionated those. So you're digitized those. You've therefore fractionated them. You've got a fractionation. There's more liquidity. In theory, the price earnings ratio should increase because the liquidity has increased. So the value of it increases. We'll see where that happens worldwide in practice. Certainly happens from a private company to a public company. But you will then own the equivalent of a digital wallet and you will then be the bearer of your asset and you will then be in the realm of digital assets. And the intriguing thing about this is that this little $1.4 trillion asset class will start reverse consuming the enormous asset classes that are out there in the form of real estate and equities and bonds, yeah. et cetera. It'll reverse consume it because it'll start reflecting yeah. their value in the digital realm. Once people are in the digital realm, I think they will reach out for services, solutions, yeah. et cetera, within that realm. And that will see the increase in speed of utilization and uptake of digital assets. Yeah. So, so that doesn't excite me, by the way, the whole fractalization and, and democratization. And, and the reason why it doesn't excite me, because we've been talking about this for like a decade, right? And so now it's just mechanics of making it happen and having the right regulatory posturing and acceptability of these assets and, and all that good stuff. What excites me, Derek, is a different lens. It's convergence. So we've been talking about this for a long time, right? That we have these decentralized ex- exchanges and we have lending protocols and lending pools and liquidity pools and so on and so forth mm-hmm. in the DeFi space. And I've always envisioned the convergence of, and I, I think at the wealth management event, there was this conversation like, let's not call Tradify and DeFi anymore. Let's just call it finance. And let's not discern between the different types of finances because they are essentially the same thing of borrowing, lending, collateralization and, and valuation, everything else. Not anything different. It's just that we're having a different realm and different modality of what we do with these things. And I do agree with that. So me personally, I don't debate anymore in terms of DeFi and Tradify. I don't talk about private public blockchains. And this real world asset tokenization to me is a great tool for uh, convergence. That suddenly now I'm able to pay for a house with Bitcoin, for example, not have to go through a translation process into a fiat currency or vice versa. And that way, I'm valuing the asset for what it's worth, what the market decides it, and the value of the real world assets by as the economic and the market decided. And I'm able to basically have an even exchange mechanism. That's how I see this. So that excites me more than simple ability for me to, to fractionalize and democratize. Like I'm going to be harsh here, but the reason that <laughs> excites you more is because you spend a decade and a half in payment gateway world. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true as well. That's true. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about Web 3.0 and why that is so important in this realm of investment. I've noticed that some fund managers during the, the crypto winter were saying, oh, you know, we're running a Web 3.0 fund. And I'd look at it and go, looks like a blockchain fund to me. Yeah. And the reason why is they were just trying to relabel it because the blockchain had had such an impact, cryptocurrencies during that 24 months or so of, of the crypto winter. And so it's important to note that that Web 3.0 tends to have to operate within a blockchain environment and utilize that. 
it's possible now to invest in a token, a, a, a digital application, which is providing a Web 3.0 solution. Yeah. And so the line is blurred. So you're investing in blockchain and a DAP, you know, and that DAP is doing a Web 3.0 solution. So, you know, in the case of the Portal Digital Fund, some of our sub funds are actually investing in DAPs, which are investing in Web 3.0 environments. So this is going to be a sort of a more comprehensive investment as we're moving forward because Web 3.0 and the applications generated from it are going to start becoming part of blockchain and vice versa. AI, of course, has had a dominant move forward and it's very exciting we love it because of course we speak with petros zepos all the time <laughs> yeah, that's petros true. is our is our favorite machine machine learning specialist who's developed our pathfinder and we're always hearing new things that are happening in the space yeah. and the ai space is truly fabulous however it's overlaying web 3.0 because it's enabling it to occur it's overlaying some of these transactional aspects because it's it's facilitating them at speed so i think as outside observers of this, it's important to understand that what's getting created here fits within a new asset class by definition. Right. And it's fairly broad. And you can't put a line down the middle and say, I'm only investing in AI or I'm only investing in Web 3.0 because they're starting to converge as an as investment so, class yeah. at the same time. No, I think that's an interesting observation. I didn't think about them that that term stack, but I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And that's, uh, that's I think, is spot on both in terms of that understanding comes with time, experience, and us figuring out. And, and even this AI context, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of work going into applying AI to understand blockchain itself because it's a linked list of how the transition processed. But the notion of applying AI to write smart contracts and write uh, code and ability for us to generate content in it. That to me is a little interesting and uncharted territory at the moment because there's a lot of human ingenuity that's going into creating these amazing financial products. And I'm still not in the camp that believes that AI can replace that human ingenuity in terms of figuring out the amazing innovation that we have seen in the DeFi world. You can maybe I'm biased, uh, but that's my that's my take on this for now. So so it's really interesting that that comes from you because I think AI is going to be an absolutely valid tool yeah. for developing decentralized finance solutions. It's going to be thinking out. It's going to be thinking at extraordinary speeds to go. Wait a sec. This solution here will be a better solution than what you've created. Now it's probably going to be driven by a human being Correct. to say solve this problem. And these two areas can operate side by side. Now, heaven forbid, I'm going to talk about cars because I know that. Oh, my God, not again. (laughs) (laughs) I know you love me talking about cars, but I'm going to do that. Every meeting we had this week, you you brought cars in. Well, there was very important parts to bring in. (laughs) And so so one has to realize that electric cars are coming and they're they're here. They're exciting. I want one. Not in a hurry in some cases, but I tell you what, I'm going to be delighted to go in an autonomous car on the way to work because who wants to sit in traffic anyway, right? But on the other hand, the classic cars are going to be around for a long, long time because they're going to be kept on the week, on the weekend and used for the weekend. I would argue that those classic cars, in fact, are vinyl records of our time and they'll run for a couple of generations to come because the vinyl record is so superb. The handcrafted, hand created, hand considered tool 
which is developing decentralized finance and all sorts of things will still be very compelling. And so I think we'll see you, AI is just used as a tool. Yeah, and to I, I think you're, you're right. I view, again, AI as a human augmentation as opposed to human replacement. Yeah. And for things like, for example, fraud detection, right? So if you're sending, using your wallet to send money and would, can I not have AI sit in between and be able to ensure I can do verification validation if there's a real wallet, if that's the real and there's no fraudulent activity happening, I can see utility of that function. So, but I guess that's something which I'm going to talk extensively about tomorrow. It's a panel between us and some of the big fours and other thought leaders in the space to just opine on how this is all going to fit in together. In my last days at IBM, again, with Petros and, and the team, we were looking into, you know, I've simply stated that it's connecting the dots and finding patterns. And if you do this recursively, you can get a lot of insights into the interaction between the wallets and between people, whether it's for true utility or for fraudulent purposes, watch trading and so on and so forth. So my focus is going to be in that for now is purely analytics as opposed to creativity at the moment, because I think AI itself is going its own regulatory Gary Gensler moment to say, well, what do we do with this thing? <laughs> and I think it, it has to settle at some point uh, there, I think. So busy day for you tomorrow because, you know, at 11 o'clock, 10 to 11 o'clock, we have a roundtable thought leadership, That's um, right. which is really good because we've essentially got family offices and top-end service providers yeah. in this space here in, in Singapore having a speakeasy, ask anything discussion. No PowerPoint, no slides tomorrow. It's just, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's going to be just an amazing heart-to-heart, which is what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. This no PowerPoint, no slides, I think is a really good thing yeah. because firstly, you've got an extraordinary knowledge of the industry, Thank so you. you can just speak from the heart and discuss yeah. it. And so that's what we're doing tomorrow for an hour. And then 30 minutes later, you're on a stage. That's right. And you're on that stage talking about this realm of AI and blockchain. And You know, it's contagious because I spoke to the organizer today. And last year, this was a two-day event, it was a three-day event. This year, it's much smaller. It's a very select group. Next year, he's going to limit to only 20 people. Well, we're already there this year. We have 12 people in our event. But next year, this conference is only going to be super selective, 20 to 25 people for half a day. That's it. That's extraordinary. And what's what's interesting is that the conversation that Nitin and I just had now, it's going to be much that we'll be having tomorrow. Just with the exception, we're going to have some very bright people around us in the room who are going to ask the questions they're not sure about. So today we've done our best to share the questions that we've had so far in Singapore. Um, Maybe the next event or next podcast, we'll discuss what happened tomorrow. Absolutely. And you'll be in Australia and I'll be in India, I think, by the time we record the next one. That's that's right, exactly. But I tell you what, it is really superb to sit in a room, although yeah. hardly a top end. I haven't looked at my screen. Room. I'm just looking at it. It's just lovely yeah, looking face to face. Right. So it's fantastic. It's so unusual, but it, yeah. it's excellent. So we've done some great things in Singapore. I really enjoyed it, and we've got another day of activity tomorrow, and then I fly back to Australia in the evening. Off you go to India. So we look forward to that. Yeah. Always when you're in India, I know that you're giving back to community. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what you're giving back to community and yeah. doing back there. Um, back in Australia, we've got um, our blockchain breakfast to attend to, the last one of the year, uh, which is not too far away. And I can tell you that 20 lucky people are coming out boating. It's oh. going to be called blockchain, blockchain boating. Blockchain boating. So for the last event of the year, we're actually all on a boat for two hours. And Maybe there'll fun. be a time, Derek, when I will visit you and we can do this podcast from your boat. That's a perfect idea. That'll be, yeah. We should aspire for that. So as long we'll, as the engines we'll, aren't running, all things are good. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll shoot that for 2024. How about that? Brilliant cool. idea. 
Okay, for now, fantastic. So good to be with you. Likewise. So good to share these 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 experiences firsthand yeah. and then share them with our audience. I hope this this sort of reflects well with the audience and and the audience, you know, if you've got questions or ideas that you want to share with us that we might like to talk about or so we will talk about, we're delighted to do that. And don't forget, of course, share with like-minded friends and subscribe and we look forward to seeing you next year from two other sides of the earth. That's right. So that's Bye next guys. week from yeah, two other sides week. of the earth. That's right. Bye for now. Bye, guys. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.